two, one. And it looks like we're there. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World. We are live broadcasting from the isolation, inspiration, amplification, ideation, incubation station, uh, live on VUX World on LinkedIn Live. And uh, thank you those of you that are joining us. This is the podcast where we find really the world's most elite brains on conversational AI, voice technologies, and we pick their brains about how they do what they do so that you can do what you do better. And I am joined, well, first of all, I'm your host, Kane Sims, and I am joined, as always, by co-host Dustin Coates. Dustin, how do? It's going well. How about yourself, Kane? Yes, very good, very good. The sun's shining. A little bit of overexposure over this side, I think. It's sun shining very, very bright, but uh, it's going, it's going very well. Yeah, how's things over there? Yeah, it's going well. Like, uh, like over there, it's quite sunny here too. So I had to, I had to put up the curtain. Uh, but it's going well. It's going to be a good weekend, I think, and this is a good way to start it. It is. It's. I couldn't think of a better way to start it because, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, our guest today is Mr. Bob Moore of IBM. Bob, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. It's a pleasure, absolute pleasure to have you on. I've uh, I've recently come across a copy of your book, and here's the proof. Conversational UX Design, A Practitioner's Guide to the Natural Conversation Framework. And uh, it was Micah uh, over from the Netherlands who uh, who introduced me to this book at one of the voice lunches uh, a couple of weeks ago. And Carol is joining us, one of the organizers of the voice lunches. So welcome, Carol. Um yeah, and, and I was absolutely, because I've been talking a lot about conversational design patterns, uh, and this book essentially is everything that I almost had very loosely going on in my brain put together by someone who knows a hell of a lot more about it than I do. So thank you for joining us, and we'll get into a bit more detail about all of this stuff and conversation design patterns and how to create natural sounding conversations. Uh, but to kick us off, uh, do you want to give us a bit of a, an overview of yourself, Bob, a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what led you to create in this book? Sure. Uh, so I'm a sociologist uh, by training uh, in, in a, uh, my specialty is in an area called conversation analysis. So most of the time I study people uh, uh, in, the, in, in the world uh, speaking in natural settings. Um, I work as a research scientist at IBM Research uh, in uh, Almaden. The Almaden Research Center is in San Jose, California. Um, I've worked for about 20 years in Silicon Valley research labs. Um, I've also worked at uh, Xerox Park and Yahoo Labs and uh, spent a little bit of time at a a video game startup in uh, in between. Um, So yeah, so most of my career I've spent people, I've spent studying people, uh, uh, conversation in the wild, we call it naturally occurring conversation. And um, as conversation analysts, we go out into the world with um, recording devices. First it was tape recorders, then video cameras. And we want to capture nat- naturally occurring conversation, not, not what happens in a lab or you know, synthetic conversation, naturally occurring human conversation in all kinds of different settings. We bring it back to the lab and we uh, transcribe it in, in excruciating detail to, to, uh, to reveal all the details that we usually overlook. And then from that, um, identify and abstract the formal patterns of how people talk. So... Um, so, you know, so that's, so that's what I've done for most of my career. But in about the last five years, um, as conversational agents have kind of uh, had a resurgence uh, and IBM got into the space, we uh, had a couple of uh, 
products for creating conversational agents. Um, I started to put on a new hat and I learned how to uh, design dialogue and build uh, conversational agents using these systems. And, you know, the whole time, my, actually, I've wanted to do this for the past 20 years. I've wanted to create talking machines using, you know, my knowledge uh, of, of how humans talk, but it's only been possible in about the last five years. So I've sort of been learning some of the design, some UX design, some, um, you know, uh, converse, uh, dialogue engineering, and I'm trying to bring the two, uh, the, the two fields together, conversation analysis and conversational uh, UX design. Cool, and that's when we spoke briefly before. That was kind of a, a really good, um, a really good analogy. You mentioned that when web design was first kind of being becoming a thing, and actually, I think it's it's even mentioned at the first part of the book is that when people started designing websites, they there were skill sets that they took from other areas like graphic design and applied those principles to the to to website design essentially i'm wondering whether you might be able to kind of elaborate on that a little bit in terms of how you can see the the practice of conversational analysis applying to people who are designing and creating either voice or conversational applications sure, sure. i mean i think i think we're at a time right now with uh voice uh assistants uh chatbots um, uh, that is kind of equivalent to the late nineties with, uh, the web at, at, at that time, you know, the web was a new thing. The, the tools for creating web pages were in the hands of the masses, but there wasn't yet a practice for web design. You know, it was a brand new thing. It had the, 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 the uh, practice hadn't evolved yet. And so you had, you know, a lot of these, you can remember the old, the old style web pages, um, you know, you probably, you, I remember creating them myself with like Netscape's, uh, editor, right. And it would, and they were, you know, there's a lot of sort of amateurish looking, uh, websites, but, you know, but if you look at the, it today, I mean, there's knowledge of, um, certainly graphic, uh, layout. There's not, uh, incorporated, there's knowledge of typography, um, of iconography, of, uh, of. Photography, like a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, other fields from the, uh, a lot of uh, knowledge from the print industry or industrial design have been borrowed and incorporated into interface, you know, graphical interface design. And, you know, now it's a, it's a, it's a mature thing and it's, 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 and it's established. So you can easily hire a web designer or a mobile designer to, um, to, to design these things. But I think, you know, with, with, Conversational interfaces, we're, we don't have that yet. We're back where everybody, the, the, the tools are in the hands of the masses. We see a lot of different kinds of systems, but they're all kind of different, right? There's not yet a standard that has emerged uh, out of people trying to do this. So, so you know, that, that's where I'm trying to kind of jumpstart the process is I think, you know, we're, we're going to need to design something that works like a, a conversation, a human conversation. We're going to need some more, more formal knowledge of how human conversation works. And that's not going to come from the past sources of, you know, industrial design or graphic design. It's going to come from somewhere else. And I think conversation analysis, it, it emerged out of sociology. I think it's got a critical uh, missing piece that designers are, uh, are struggling with right now. And that is the, the structure of dialogue, the structure of human conversation. How do you string the bits of natural language together into recognizable uh, conversational structures? And I think right now I see a lot of, uh, designers struggling with that. They're like, you know, we all know how to do conversation, right? So you should be able to design it, but you sit down to design it and you find it's, it's more complex than you thought. And so I think, you know, bringing in some formal knowledge from social science, especially the social sciences that focus on, on conversation in a concrete way uh, are, are, are needed at this time. Mm. 
Did you did you were you an early proponent of that HTML style uh, design of websites, Dustin? The tables and the hyperlinks and all that lot. Oh, certainly. I was uh, 12, 13, making, making websites in front page 98, I believe is what it was. Um, right. It's quite a, quite a lot of fun. What about you, Kane? Uh, kind of. I, I actually got a, a involved in the whole kind of web design thing a little bit after that. So I didn't really start designing things like websites and, and uh, mobile apps till probably, I would say about maybe eight, 10 years ago, tops, something like that. At that point, websites were starting to get a little bit better. You know, it was like, um, I've definitely built a lot of uh, HTML kind of tables and all that kind of stuff as, as a quick way of mocking up stuff. But uh, yeah, in terms of actual pra- the practicalities of building stuff, uh, I was I, co- I kind of come uh, into it all a tiny, tiny bit, a little bit later than that. But um, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of the Wayback Machine, which I use every yeah. now and then to go. And yeah, uh, yeah if, you have, if, no, if you haven't seen the Wayback Machine, it's absolutely fantastic. You can go yeah. to it, put in any website and it'll show you what it was like in like 1996 and stuff, which is, uh, it's fantastic. Right. But, um, but you mentioned there, Bob, you know, you were saying that uh, what what the kind of like social sciences and conversational analysts have, conversation analysts have, is an innate understanding of how dialogue is structured. And that kind of stuff can apply to people who are creating conversations. I'm wondering whether you might be able to elaborate or help us define a little bit what you mean when you say the structure of dialogue. Uh, the structure of dialogue. Well, you I mean, you need to... Um in a, you know, the whole uh, challenge with dialogue is to figure out what to, you know, what the, ag- what the agent should say after the user says something or what the, what the user might say after the agent says something. And um, there, are, there are patterns to how we do this in conversation. Now, I need to give a caveat. You don't have to design your agent like a, a natural conversation. You can do it however you want. And that's, um, I think that's, you know, you, we can create new forms of interaction. We don't need to follow conversation. So I sort of take, you know, I, I, I you know, my, my, um, uh, preference or my choice is to, is for a style that does follow conversation, but, uh, human conversation, but, um, it's, so there's, there, there are mechanics to it. So we have, we build up conversation out of sequences. Uh, there are sort of two main sequence types, uh, what we call adjacency pairs, uh, they're paired actions. For example, if, uh, if if one person does a invitation, that makes relevant a an acceptance or a rejection in the next next turn. Those two uh, those two terms, the invitation and then the acceptance or the rejection, are a pair that um, that that forms kind of a ba- a basis of part of that conversation, and then it, it can be expanded out. Uh, so you might have um, a preliminary to the invitation. Are you busy tonight? Are you busy tonight? It's a, it's a pre uh, it's, a, it's a preliminary to that invitation, and we hear it that way. We don't hear it usually as a an innocent uh, inquiry into you know what you're doing. We hear it as a preliminary to some kind of invitation or request. So that's a way to expand that pair. Or we might say, well, wh- wh- where are you going? You know, what you might we might ask some questions about the uh, invitation before we accept it, and that can expand it. And so, and we uh, also after you know after the the end, so that those two turns can be expanded out to form a structure. A, a recognizable structure. The other main sequence type is a storytelling sequence type. I call it extended telling in the book, but it's storytelling or instruction giving. And it's kind of what I'm doing right now where I'm giving an extended narrative and I'm doing it in, in pieces. And in between, 
I can see you nodding. Uh, you have the opportunity to to give a, a do a continuer. In this case, if it's visual, you can just do a nod. If we were just over voice, uh, you might say uh huh or mm hmm yeah uh, to to signal to me to continue. Uh, or you might say, well, you might stop me and say, well, what do you mean by you know natural conversation? Or you might do you might do what we call a repair. So that's another kind of sequence type. And those you know from those we build out the whole rest of the conversation. And there's you know there's more to it than that. There's uh, so there's a whole set of of uh, practices for repairing troubles in, in hearing and understanding, or getting the other person to repeat all or part of the previous turn if you didn't hear it all. Or to get them to repeat all or part, sorry, or to uh, paraphrase all or, or part of the previous turn if you didn't understand some part of it. So there's the organization of repair that runs through there. There are practices for opening the conversation with hello, how are you, uh, the first uh, order of business. There's practices, systematic practices for closing the conversation. Um, uh, often we do we do a what we call a pre-closing where we say, all right then, uh, or I, I got be going, uh, basically one, one party uh, proposes that closing will, could be done next, but the other party has to ratify it. And they may or may not. They may say, oh, you know, I wanted to, to, to bring up this other topic. It gives them the opportunity to bring up another topic. Um, then they do the pre-closing again. Uh, if they both ratify that, then in the next turns you get, okay, goodbye, goodbye. So there's, there's structure all through that. How we do that, there's, there's a, a, there are um, predictable patterns. And what conversation analysts do is we through our uh, transcripts and our recordings, we capture people doing that. We compare lots of different cases, and from that, describe these these mechanisms that we as people use uh, to accomplish a conversation. How much of these structures are cultural, and how much of these are global and native to all of us? Uh, that's a good question. It, it appears, uh, and conversation analysis is a international discipline. It's done by people in different uh, cultures and, and in different languages. Um, I, of course, know uh, pretty much only uh, English uh, conversation analysis. But what we found is that the interaction patterns uh, are pretty universal. And this is something I haven't really talked about yet, but there's an, a notion of sort of the language and the interaction. And um, the interaction patterns are kind of more basic, uh, very basic, and the, the language then is sort of what we layer on top and how we accomplish it. So for example, a, uh, an offer, uh, there's a lot of ways to offer somebody something and then they, they accept it or they decline or they reject kind of similar to an invitation. I can do that without language at all. I can hand uh, something out toward you and you can take it or not. Uh, I think we learn the interaction patterns before we can speak and they're very, they're very uh, basic. And it appears from the research that most of the interaction patterns themselves are very uh, universal. Now there are of course differences, cult cultural differences uh, around them, um, but the basics are, are pretty much the same. There's, you know, there's sort of lengths of pauses that are considered normal. That varies a bit uh, with culture. Um, but overall we found that a lot of the basics of like how we negotiate turns, turn taking, uh, a lot of the basic sequence types, things like offers and invitations and requests, are very are very uh, quite universal. But that's part of the you know that's part of the research. If you were to find ah you know people in you know in uh, speak Italian or Swahili you know they do this differently, then that that would be paper. And there are some papers of cultural differences, but they seem to be relatively small. And so that what that means is that's good news for designers. That means what we can do is we can reuse uh, the dialogue patterns and translate 
the uh, language, uh, but keep the same dialogue patterns. And I think that's that's a critical piece. If, if, if we had to re reinvent them for every language, then um, that would be a problem. But, you know, we speak across, you know, we, people learn different languages and the interaction they have to, you know, to pretty much take the same form, regardless of which uh, language they're in. Interesting. And thank you everyone for, for dropping your comments in, in the broadcast. And I know I can see a few questions coming through. Uh, do keep the questions coming and we will get to them uh, either throughout the conversation or towards the back end of the conversation. Uh, we will definitely, we'll definitely do that. Um, you kind of touched on there, Bob, um, in, in, a second ago, you were talking about that there are different ways of designing conversations, and that the 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 situation that that you're kind of proposing isn't the only one, and you're not necessarily proposing that it's the right one. You're just saying that it's the one that you kind of prefer. Some of the other uh, ways of doing it, which you also kind of outline in the book, is the kind of the tree based design, uh, as well as the kind of the the almost like the voice control, like the request response kind of thing, and you know the the other types of doing it. What, in your words or in your mind, is the difference or ad advantage of I think you call it uh, natural conversation design rather than anything else what what's the differences in the advantages of using that approach to creating conversations versus using like a tree-based narrative or something like that um well the so first of all um human conversation is like very versatile and you can do it's very flexible and we can use it to adapt to all kinds of lack uh, differences in knowledge and um uh, uh, misunderstandings, uh, uh, different kinds of interactional troubles. And so it's, it's a very flexible machinery. And if we can, a prop, if we can get a machine that can do that, that'll be very powerful. Um, let's see, but let's see. So that's, so, so now I don't think we're there yet. I don't, I don't think we're fully there yet, but that, that, that's, 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 uh, that's, um, that's useful. The, another thing is that if you want sort of more, uh, more practical, you know, if you want to um, use your your conversational agent on different channels, on different platforms, um, that can be an issue, right? So say you've got a sort of standard um, chatbot, and, you know, it, it will give back sometimes paragraphs of text, often will have, or, or give back lists, uh, uses buttons and menus and other kinds of graphical elements. If your client says, oh, this is great, we love this, now we wanna do it over telephone or over a voice-only assistant, now you've got a problem because that conversation is not gonna work. The paragraphs and lists are not gonna work over, over voice, and of course, buttons and menus are not available. So what do you do? Now you have to redesign, you have to design something else. You have to design a voice-first or a voice-only um, kind of agent. And now you've got two different agents, right? And the way you interact with them is different. The way the, the user interacts with them is a little different. Uh, if you design it from the start more like a natural conversation, uh, then it'll work on any of these platforms, and it'll even work like especially it'll be it'll be most suited for things like a robot interface or an avatar interface, right? Where it's a with actual human speaking, but it'll also work you know with voice only. It'll work with SMS. Um, it'll work with the you know, mobile desktop or whatever. And so that's the concept that we have of, of conversation first. You design it like a conversation with, and part of that is that, you know, the, the utterances are, they're shorter than what you get in, in documents. Documents have pages and paragraphs, right? That's not talk. That's not conversation. If you make, if you break it, conversation has shorter bits uh, to, to enable more back and forth, sort of fast paced back and forth. And so the, the content needs to be designed for that. 
Um, and also you need to have, be able to accomplish all the actions, uh, you know, uh, introducing a topic, getting details, moving on to the next topic, whatever is going on in your, your application, you need to be able to do that through all the words. I mean, sorry, through only words, if you're doing that um, through voice only. So you can create it. So, you know, so there's things like that to make it conversational, to make it more like a human conversation. And then, you know, whether you're, so with our design framework, actually I'm agnostic as to whether it's going to be eventually on text or on voice. And I actually try and do it so that it's on both. And, um, and what, what we do is design it so that it works like a conversation. The conversation part works the same way on any of the channels. And then on the channels that have screen real estate, we can use that to enhance the conversation, but not to change its mechanics. So we, you know, we have a, an application with, it has got some cards. It's a travel agent and it got some cards that have information on destinations or attractions or flights. Uh, so you can click on a card. We've added that, you know, if they click on the card, the, we tell the conversation, oh, they just clicked on the card for Las Vegas. So we give the context to the, to, the, uh, to the conversation system. But the conversation doesn't work in fundamentally a different way. It works the same way, whether it's over uh, voice or, uh, or text. So that's, I think that's the most immediate benefit is that I see this. I see, I see teams where they built uh, a, an agent for one channel and then client wants to go to a, a completely different channel and they have to redesign the whole thing from scratch because the interaction doesn't, doesn't go across. Hmm. And you, last time we spoke again, you had a, um, a very good way of phrasing and maybe you've kind of touched on it, but you had a very good way of separating out the interaction from the dialogue. I'm wondering whether you might be able to kind of explain a little bit about what you mean when you say interaction. Sure. So I think, yeah, I think you mean uh, interaction, separate the interaction from the language. Sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's, yeah, kind of a high level. I think that part of, I think interaction is the missing piece right now. By that, I mean that we have, uh, I, I think to build a conversational agent, you need three things. You need uh, language, you need knowledge, and you need interaction. Uh, language, we have pretty um, uh, mature tools for speech to text, right? Uh, automatic speech recognition um, for for te uh, text to speech, for natural language understanding, for uh, you know natural language processing. Right? We have a lot of tools for that to recognize language and to produce language. Um, so that I think we're doing we're doing very well there. Knowledge-wise, we have a lot of tools and methods for accessing information, for accessing knowledge, for doing reasoning. Um, and, you know, your, your agent needs access to knowledge. Otherwise, there's, it's got nothing to offer, right? If it doesn't have some kind of knowledge about, I don't know, whatever it is, entertainment, medicine, travel, whatever it is, it needs access to some useful knowledge. Otherwise, you're just having, kind of having a conversation about nothing, which is also kind of fun, too. But, uh, so it needs knowledge, right? It needs useful knowledge. And then the third thing is it needs to be able to adapt that language and that knowledge to some activity, to some interactional activity. So it might be that it answers users' questions. That's one kind of activity. It might be that it tells stories. Now, you know, you can ask questions and tell stories about the same topic, about, you know, might be, you know, some uh, movie, latest movie with the characters, right? And you can answer questions about that movie, or you can tell stories about uh, the movie. Or you can quiz the user, uh, do a trivia quiz. That's a, yet a third activity. And so those interactional activities, we need to, um, you know, the uh, agent needs to be able to adapt to those and to, to uh, perform those. And I think that's the missing piece. We don't, when it comes to that dialogue, we pretty much give designers a blank page and say, you figure it out. 
you figure out how to design the dialogue such that it does storytelling or such that it does quizzing or it does question answering or complex requests, whatever. That, that is the least developed um, leg of the three-legged stool, I think, where we're really relying on designers to figure it out. And that's, that's really the, 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 the piece that I think uh, conversation analysis can help with. I mean, we need all, all of it, right? We need the language, knowledge, and the interaction. But I think the interaction right now could benefit from uh, conversation analysis because that's really what we focus on is what uh, the interaction patterns, um, you know, the, 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 uh, yeah, exactly those, how the activities are, are structured as a back and forth between people. Interesting. So, so what are some of the, how can someone who is creating some kind of, um, and thanks by the way, I know there's a few questions here now being posted and we'll get to those very shortly. How can someone who, who is creating a conversational agent, how can they recognize whether there is something that, that might not be quite right? You're talking about the interaction being the missing piece there. How, how would you approach analyzing a conversation to see whether or not the, action, the interaction part is right? How can people identify whether they need to improve that interaction side of what they've done? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I think there's, there's like, we don't have a good tool for this, but I think at, at this point, it's sort of it's going to be subjective. Well, it's going to, you're going to inspect it. So I think, first of all, if you, as the designer, observe the interaction, you're going to say, ah, oh, something's not right. Because we all know how to do it, right? We all know how to do the interaction. Um, you know, when we play it out, we say, oh, that, that doesn't feel, uh, that doesn't seem quite right. I, I think you're going to have to use our, our uh, tacit knowledge of how conversation works. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the users will do the same thing. And they will you know, they will sort of, uh, you know, make noise and, and say things in response to the agent that point out that it just, it did the wrong thing. And so I think we'll also see evidence in the user's responses that, uh, it, that it didn't, it didn't really, uh, that something's wrong. But I don't, you know, I don't think we have a tool at this point that we can sort of run through, uh, say, you know, uh, conversation logs, user logs, and automatically uh, identify these problems yet. Although that's a great research project. Is that good at your uh, question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think so. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, so we've got uh, we've got a question here from uh, Amy Stapleton. Shout out to Amy. Uh, so she said she's got a longish question. Uh, loves the idea of patterns. Uh, my question is: Where do you keep and manage one all the logic required to interpret user responses, and two all the possible prompts and responses that goes along with the patterns? And I don't know if Dustin wants to weigh in maybe on some of the technical side of things, but Bob, when you're kind of creating, uh, when you're creating these interactions and when you're creating these back and forths, how do you kind of keep on top of the, the logic that's needed to determine what is said, uh, what the user's saying, and also all of the prompts and responses that you need to, to serve? Um, I guess I don't have a fancy uh, answer for that or a solution. I mean, I tend, uh, so I, so while my, design framework, which I call natural conversation framework, the design framework itself is agnostic to platform because it's a set of, of abstract patterns. Um, although that's the case, when I build uh, systems, I build on, um, on IBM's Watson Assistant, I built on uh, Watson Dialogue before that. Uh, and usually the, the log, well, most of the logic and the responses are contained in the, um, the skill file, the JSON file that is, uh, 
the, the skill file. And the reason I do that, so actually, let me, I think one thing that's kind of important here um, is that I think a benefit of a lot of these current platforms, whether it's a Watson platform or, or um, Amazon or Google or Microsoft, one nice thing is that they tend to have um, dialogue editors that anyone can use, right? They're simplified uh, graphical uh, pro programming interfaces. And what, what that does is it enables um, non programmers to build stuff. I and mean, that's why I learned because, you know, I'm not a programmer, but I could pick this up. And so, um, you know, when you are doing one of these projects, there's always a question of where should certain things live? Should they live in the conversation uh, file, dialogue file, or the conversation file, or on the back end or on the front end? And I think those, you know, technically you can, you can put them all kinds of places, but I think where you put them um, has implications for who controls them. And so I think I tend to put a lot, anything that's like the structure of conversation, I keep it in the conversation file so that the conversation designer has control over it. Once you start putting too much of that on the back end, well, now the back end guy or girl, woman, uh, the, 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 your back end person is now in control of it. And now designing across that, it becomes more difficult. So I try to make it so that um, the dialogue contains uh, sort of all the logic and most of the responses. Although if you've got dynamic responses, you need to bring that in from you know, a third-party API or database or something like that. Um, and I try and design it so that the, um, the, the, the conversation is uh, talking to the backend and asking the backend for very backend kind of thing, sort of structured query kind of stuff, kind of thing that back, backends usually do, like database kind of queries, rather than putting a lot of conversation logic on the back end. I don't want the back end to have really any conversational logic. I want it to be all in the conversation. Now, depending on your use case, it's going to, to vary, but I try and, you know, I think the principle is that if you keep it where the conversation designer has control, then they can control the user experience. They can get, make sure it's consistent and, you know, and they can be responsible for it. So I'm not sure if that exactly answers the question, but. I think it does. I think it does. Yeah, yeah. I think we've covered this before, Justin, haven't we, in terms of separating the content from the logic? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, just because, because of the tooling, I guess the two kind of tend to go together, but conceptually there's a difference. Like conceptually the patterns I have are, are at, they're written in terms of not in terms of the content, but in terms of the actions. And so they are separate from the content and I could imagine I'd like to build a content um, editor where a content person could just, write utterances and have it uh, automatically inserted into the dialogue They don't, have, so that they didn't have to get their hands dirty with that. Uh, we don't have that tool yet, but conceptually you could do that. Because sometimes, you know, I think the content person may be different from the, the conversation designer, right? It might be some person who knows health insurance policy, right? They're experts on that. Uh, you want them to do some of the utterances, not all of them, but like the, 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 main, the utterances about sort of questions and answers, whatever. Uh, they don't want, probably don't want to get their hands dirty with dialogue, but then, you know, I think you need a, still a conversation designer who is going to be in charge of the whole thing. You're responsible for the flow of the conversation. You're responsible for all the conversation management actions like repairs and openings and closings and stuff that, you know, a health, a health uh, policy professional is not going to care or know about. 
And I think, Bob, what you were mentioning earlier gets a little bit at another question that we have from Richard, uh, maybe a little bit different topic, but uh, he was saying that Dialogflow, Alexa, Watson, what role can these platforms serve to help the industry get better at creating more complex conversations? Is this a role for the platforms? For the platforms? Um, I mean, or for I, the technology in general, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think it's, I think ultimately it's the role of designers and I think designers need to learn something new. I think designers need to um, really be experimenting now and be looking for new sources of inspiration. Uh, for example, from social science and, um, you know, be, be, I think it's, I think it's up to the designers. I think the platforms are fairly powerful um, but they're, they, you know, they're, they give you a blank, a, kind of a blank page. Uh, it's a tool, right? They don't create the, the conversation for you. I think now we really need to see the creativity of designers in using that to push what's possible. Um, and I think there's a, we'll see a lot more as possible. I think it's this sort of current generation. I don't know. I think it's fairly simple in terms of the interactional complexity. I think that we'll see that get more complex as time goes on. I mean, you know, so for example, you know, what, what, uh, what designers could do is they could start from scratch. They could uh, observe how humans talk. Uh, you know, you could, if you, you could go to, uh, you know, a, a, a public place and uh, observe humans talking. Uh, you might even record it so they can get the details and see how they talk and then model, you know, your, your interaction, your dialogue based on that. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, that's sort of the primary way to do it. What, what I'm suggesting is we have a whole, a whole science that does, has already done that or has already done a lot of that. Why not take the, the fruits of that, um, of that discipline of conversation analysis and try and first start with that and see if can we apply the patterns that conversation analysts have discovered rather than you know, going out and becoming a, a conversation analyst. So I think you know, we can, we can jumpstart that by, by taking advantage of that literature. And then, you know, there might still be, you know, you're, you're interested in a use case where there really is no literature on that. And yeah, then go, you know, go out and observe it. Then I think then, then we would need the, the basic science. But where things are already solved, we already know how, how things are already um, organized. You know, do, that, that's, I mean, that's, that's been my, my project has been to take that knowledge um, and make it more accessible to designers. Because if you just kind of go to the conversation analysis literature, it's not written for designers. It's, it's kind of hard. It's not that accessible. So I've been trying to kind of translate it and sort of learn and learn both sides and try to bring the two together. I need to let my dog out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I think it's it's it's, uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting because what you're touching on there essentially is um, that it's almost like. Your, your, what you're describing as conversation analysis in that instance is it's essentially user research, isn't it? In this context, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. And Ahmed Mansi has asked asked the question that, that essentially is is right up that street, and and maybe you've answered it, maybe not, but I'll, I'll put it put it to you anyway. And if there's yeah, anything yeah. else that we can dig into, so uh, so Ahmed's saying, um, how do you listen? or observe people's conversations to build a structure or a pattern? Is it something where you would invite them into a lab to do a, a test-based based scenario, or do you go out into the field? And how does that whole process work? If there isn't anything that's... We'll come on to the literature, literature in a minute. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about where people can go to find this literature, as well as the book. But if, if, there isn't, if there's nothing in the literature, if you need to go out and you need to do this kind of stuff, how do you do it? Do you go out into the field? Do you find people? Do you bring people to the lab? How does it all work? Yeah, I mean, ideally, you go out into the field. Um, I think, and it's always best to start there. 
because you know that's that's natural right that's that's what people that's how they do it right is is for real uh, the lab i think you can use selectively if you have a good idea of its limitations i think you know starting in a lab and doing everything in a lab runs the risk that you you're producing something that it's not natural that um, you know that that doesn't represent what people do when they're out in 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 the real world so I think it, you know lab can be it can be used it can be used but you need to be, be careful. Um, ideally, I think yeah you want to you want to capture it the way it happens um, and then and learn from that. I mean that's and that's you know <laughs> conversation analysis is fantastic. I mean this is I I I have a career in it because as an undergrad I I, I uh, was exposed to it and I just thought it was fascinating. It's like here is a uh, study of what we naturally do and we take for granted so we don't really notice it. But once you see you know, a description, a formal description of the mechanisms of conversation. You're like, wow, that's, yeah, I'm doing that. I can see me myself doing that. I didn't have that kind of, you know, uh, clarity about it before. Um, and so I, you know, I, 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 I encourage people to do, to do um, some conversation analysis. In fact, in, uh, we have in the book, the, the last chapter is on uh, design, design thinking for conversational uh, UX and one of uh, ex one of the exercises I recommend is to listen to a tape recording of a natural conversation. Um, and I've got I've got there, there are places where you can get some that are recorded, or you can record your own, uh, and then uh, analyze a transcript. I mean, this is this is like this is like uh, you know introduction to conversation analysis. A analyze a transcript of it to see you know what what is the animal that we that we're working with here. What what does the animal look like? Because it's it's we have to be very clear about that. Um, it's not a book, right? If it's not like uh, language in a book, language in a book has a very different kind of format. If you start, if you analyze uh, a human conversation, and like I said, if you have a transcript, it makes it a lot easier because it, it kind of freezes it, right? It freezes it so that you can you can you can you can see it. Um, people speak sometimes in sentences, but often they speak in phrases or single words, right? So it's the sentence is not quite the the right unit of analysis, right? It's, we call it actually term constructional units, which could be words or phrases or sentences. And we put those together to make utterances and utterances, you know, they are much short They tend to be much shorter than, you know, a, a paragraph in a, um, in a document. Um, and just getting you know, a feel in a conversation, they tend to be very short. Human conversation is very fast. And in fact, we, um, we are good at achieving uh, no gap or overlap between our terms. Now, sometimes you know minimal gap and minimal overlap is normal, but we're very good at timing them. And that is because as I'm speaking, uh, you are analyzing what I'm saying and you're projecting where I'm going to end. And then you can come in right at the end of mine with your next your next uh, uh, relevant utterance. This is something that's actually not possible with uh, a lot of today's agents, except for things. Like, uh, um, well, I don't want to get in. I think there's some systems that, that can do it, but you know, right now, um, most systems they don't start analyzing what the user says until the user is done, and in fact, after a short pause after the user is done. So we get these really long pauses today. But I think you know, by by analyzing a human conversation, and we we time the pauses in our transcripts, you can see, oh, it's very fast. And in fact, 0.5 seconds that's relatively that's a little bit that's noticeable. And in fact, it's anything over a second is, is fairly long. So if you have like, you're designing your, your, your agent and it's got, you're going to have a place where you know there's a 30 second uh, silence. That's huge. That's like, 
ridiculously huge for a, a voice conversation. So that kind of thing. I think it's, I encourage people, uh, especially, you know, I encourage designers to do at least, a, a, you know, uh, to, to, to get their, their feet wet, is that right? Feet wet with uh, conversation analysis, learn some of the basics, do some, but then, you know, but then also take advantage of the, the studies that, that have been done and don't try and reinvent the wheel, take advantage of, you know, what, what's out there already. And then, you know, if, see, you know, see if there's something you can use already before you go and try and start from scratch. In terms of the stuff that has been done already and the studies that do exist, um, do they detail like here's here's a conversation design pattern or here's how a conversation works when it comes to I don't know booking a taxi or or certain like topic areas or is it just general observations of of other types of conversations like if someone's working on a very particular type of use case is that is the chances that there's already research being done in that particular area or is it more general conversation analysis literature that's out there uh papers in conversation analysis tend to focus on use cases actually i mean they don't we don't call them use cases but they they focus on particular kinds of settings or activities so you'll it might be doctor-patient interaction, and then usually a paper will be focused on focusing on some part of doctor-patient interaction. For example, uh, giving a diagnosis. Um, you know, so that so if you know if that's re- related to your, your thing, then you'll yeah you'll find a paper that's that's focused on that. Or uh, I did my dissertation on st- telephone survey interviews and actually repair uh, within within those. Or I've done studies of people ordering. Uh, documents at a print shop. And so it's focused on that. So you will find, so they are fairly focused. And the, the good thing about them is that they, uh, conversation analysis uh, studies, they have a bunch of transcripts in them, examples of transcripts. And we build up an analysis, usually from a simple, clear case to then more complex cases. But there's transcripts in there. So there's, there's patterns there. So you can see what it looks like. And that's important if you need to build it. Right. It's not we don't do like we're not going to give you like, a you know, numbers pretty much. We're not going to give you, you know, here's a table with, you know, the causal effects of, you know, this, you know, of, you know, of, you know, different kind of statistics. That's not really useful for design. But if you have these patterns of here, look, this is one way that people did it. Here's another way. And here's a third way. Now you see from looking at those three cases, you can see the pattern. That's going to be very more helpful to you when you need to build you know, potentially those three different path, pathways, right? It's very, it's very empirical. It's very um, empirical in an observational way or empirical in a, in a direct way. So that I think that that's what makes it more useful because you can, you can see exactly what they're talking about. Now, uh, in terms of finding a study that sort of covers your use case, you may or may not find that. But I think as you um, start to think about conversation in terms of its form or its structure or its shape, uh, you realize that um, that different use cases will have the same or very similar uh, in shape or interactional forms in them. So, you know, whether you're ordering a uh, coffee at Starbucks or you're ordering a, a document at a print shop, there's going to be a lot of parts of the, uh, the interaction that are the same. The interactional, a lot of the interactional forms are going to be the same, although, you know, what you're ordering and sort of the the uh, domain is going to be kind of different. And so when you, when you look at it that way in terms of form, sometimes you will find a study that's not on the right domain for, for your use case, but it is the same kind of activity and you can, you can um, interactional activity or interactional form and you can, you can take advantage of that. On a 
practical level, if people are just getting started out, they're not super familiar with this, how would they go about finding these studies? Is it, I imagine it's not as simple as www.google.com, conversational analysis, doctor, patient, well, or, or is the, it that simple? I think it kind of is that simple. Um, now, the, I think that the, 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 the issue is that conversation analysts don't write for designers. They write for more, it's, more, it's fairly academic. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard. It's, you know, I don't think it would be so easy to get into for designers. So that's why I wrote the book. I wrote, I, I wrote this book along with my co-author, Rafael Arar, who's a designer, to try and bring uh, some of the basics of that literature to, uh, to, to, to designers to make it more accessible and not just bring it to them, but I've also built all of these things, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm learning some design and I'm trying to bring the two together. So I would start, I would start there at, at least and from, from the book, get a get uh, basic understanding of conversation analysis, of conversation patterns, uh, interaction mechanics, and, and then maybe venture into particular studies. Um, you know, I think ultimately, yeah, if you want to go deep, if you want to go deep on understanding the science, then ultimately, yeah, you'll have to uh, go to that, that literature. But yeah, it's, uh, you, can, you can pretty much uh, Google it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, we, 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 I was just, I think, going to do the same thing. Yeah, uh, mentioned that we do have a few more, a few more user questions. So, uh, if we if we miss any of them, sorry, a lot of a lot are coming through. Just mention the comments. And uh, Simon was asking, could TV or movie screenplays be useful? Uh, yes, I, I think they, I think they have some use. Um, they are, uh, you know, they're. They're, they're kind of idealized. And of course, when we're building a conversational agent, that's also idealized interaction. So I think, I think they have some use. Um, you know, I think uh, the, the conversation science or the conversation analysis is going to give you a fuller picture of the mechanics. But I, but I think, you know, dialogue uh, is, is somewhat useful. We've, I've used that, experimented with using that before to you know, recognize different kinds of um, phrases for different kinds of actions. It's, I think you need to use it carefully because it's not, you know, it's, it's somebody's idealized version of reality versus something closer to a uh, reality. Yeah, when, when I, one thing that's nice about it is we have a lot of movie and TV scripts that are publicly available. So that, that's a nice data source. And so we've experimented with that a bit. Um, yeah, I used to. I, I sometimes recommend for people, and now now that now that you've kind of so in in the past we've done workshops where we've had we've done that we we'll have people play out the conversation. It's it's staged obviously, so it's not natural. But you'd have them play out the conversation, and then you would take that as your first pass of your kind of dialogue. Um, but what I've what I've done quite a lot in the past because only because I used to do it myself. I used to read. So on the BBC, the BBC have got a site called the Writers Room, and essentially it's just loads of the old scripts and stuff like that from dramas and comedies and stuff like that. Uh, and I used to just read them just to see how because obviously writing dialogue is different to writing. For, for something to be read and so I used to read scripts for that purpose is to see how do you write dialogue but what you probably don't get from that given what you just explained is you probably don't get the natural cadence or interaction of a conversation you get you might get the dialogue writing but not necessarily the interaction is that is that fair to say uh, yeah I was, I was the way I was going to put it is that you don't get a lot you don't get as much of the things like uh, repair so what what did you say could you, could you repeat that the, the what um, 
if you do get repairs, it tends to be more meaningful. Like somebody is making a statement, they're challenging by saying, what did you, what do you mean? Versus just, I don't understand. So the sort of mundane uh, repairs we do, uh, things like um, uh, sequence closers, like, uh-huh, okay. You get fewer of those. I notice that um, people don't do a proper closing uh, in TV, on TV shows on the telephone. They usually hang up before they've said goodbye. Uh, there's probably dramatic reasons for doing that. It probably looks, sounds, seems better on screen uh, than a, a more natural one. So that's what I'm saying. It's in its idealized version. Uh, I don't want to say it's not useful because, you know, we're in, in creating a conversational agent. We're doing the same thing. We're creating an idealized version, but there's going to be things that are missing. They're going to, there's, it's not the whole Leave the details, and certainly one of the challenges. Here's the other challenge. Um, you know, you get a uh, you know a movie script. Uh, I, so one of the things, uh, the applications that you can do, well, with a uh, with our design framework, uh, and especially. So I've got a um, a template. Basically, it's a it's a, a skill. It has all these conversation patterns. One thing you can do with it is adapt it for characters, right? Characters from a movie or from TV show. I, I'm not sure if I should say which one I've, I've done, but um, one of the issues there is that if you, you know, so the great thing is that you know, you've got all these movie and TV scripts that you can use for content. I can, have, oh, I can have my agent say this and that because the character does that. But of course, the character in the script, there's just one path, right? And in a, a live, you know, with a conversational agent, with a live interaction, you need to build out a lot of paths, right? Alternative paths that that character never took. And so, you know, you need to sort of think a little more systematically. And that's where I think the scripts are only going to get you so far. You need to know, okay, yeah, at this point, you know, the, 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 this character said this, but what are the other things that they might have said? And what are the things that a user might say at that point? I need to build out some of those too. So it doesn't, it doesn't get you all the way. But I think it's useful. And I think it's useful to, I, I, I would be more happy if a designer is kind of using dialogue from scripts as a reference than using documents with, you know, with paragraphs and lists and all the kind of document formatting um, that, you know, we, you know, I don't, that, that, all the formatting that comes along with, with documents. I think, you know, the dialogue, uh, written dialogue is closer to the thing that we're trying to uh, emulate. Hmm. Um, we've got a question from Micah, um, and we've still got quite. We've got a lot of people still still in in the uh, in the show. About twenty five people tuning in. So if you've hung around this long, then you're obviously well into this stuff. And so I think we can we can go a bit deeper, which uh, which Micah is definitely taking this deeper. Um, so so question for Bob: Can you expand? Because uh, you were just talking about uh, dialogue and, and and writing and 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 design and stuff like that. So Micah's question is: Can you expand on the concept? of expandable sequence a little bit more. Oh, sure. Right. So I, um, so yeah, so I mentioned that a little bit before, but take, so this is sort of few. So let's see. So the, you know, the, one of the basic units to conversation is a, 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 a pair, a, a, a adjacency pair. It's kind of a, a, a tricky term, but it, it's a pair, pair of actions, right? A, uh, an invitation and an acceptance. And a lot of times you get, you get just the two, the two turns, right? So one person says, Hey, you want to go out for a, for a pint? And the other guy, and you and you say, yeah, sure, sure, Bob, I'd love to go for a pint, right? You get the two turns and a lot of times you just get those, but that's the sequence is expandable depending on a variety of things. So I might first check to see if you're uh, available. Oh, are, are you busy tonight? What are you doing tonight? 
And if you say, oh, I, I'm doing, a, I'm recording a podcast, then I'm probably not going to ask you to go for it. I will ask you to go out for a pint, right? I'm checking, screening for the conditions uh, on which my requests or my invitation are dependent. So I'm doing a, that's a, a kind of preliminary. So now I've expanded those two turns and four turns, right? Are you, are you, are you busy tonight? No. Oh, would you like to go out for a pint? Sure. Right. So that's four turns. Um, you might get expansions in between the two pieces, right? So I might say, you want to go out for a pint? You might say, uh, oh, what time? Uh, seven o'clock. Okay, great. Or you might say, oh, yeah, w- w- uh, what time? Uh, where you want to go? Uh, you, know, you might insert some sequences and then some more pairs in between those two. And then finally, at the end, there might be additional uh, expansions there. At the very least, something like, okay, okay great. Uh, sequence closer. Great. Uh, thanks. You're welcome. Um, and so those two p- pairs, they're just they're, they're what we call the base sequence. But that base can get expanded kind of like an accordion, depending on things like you know, I, I'm checking to, checking to see if you're available. Uh, you're checking to see where we're going or to get more information from me. Um, and after any turn, there might be a repair of what did you, you know, what did you say? What did you, what did you mean? Um, and those, you know, those repairs then are also expansions. And so you need to build, you need to have the concept of pairs that are expandable depending on different um, contingencies that might happen with uh, different users. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of a, I, I don't, you know, we don't really have that concept in the tooling. Uh, the tooling is just, you know, user says something, agent says something, right? This really need, this is a higher level concept of a base pair that can be expanded uh, to pretty, you know, the sort of number of different uh, permutations of expansions is huge. Like, uh, you know, with, with the ones that I build, I build in possibility certainly for repairs, multiple repairs after any turn, sometimes with preliminaries and usually with the post expansions of okay things, stuff like that. So the number of possible combinations you could have is huge in terms of sequences, in terms of, you know, one, one user doesn't know something, one user can't quite hear because it's too noisy, another one doesn't understand, right? So you get a lot of different possibilities from that, just that, 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 that pair, that, that base pair of uh, actions. Wow. So it's almost like I can, visual, I can visualize it now in terms of how you might th- get that in your in your head straight so you you've got the, essentially the beginning of the conversation and the end of the conversation which is the sequence if you like and then you could jump from there to there from one to the other providing the condition is right but in between that it's almost like you're describing gathering and i think we might have ta- spoke about this briefly last time i met in in, in the kind of vui design language you're almost talking about ways in which you gather the slot values is that fair to say? In that, if you want to, if if the, if the if the use case is arrange a pint, and it starts out with do you want to go for a pint, then there are certain things that you need to know in order to finish that conversation, having arranged going for a pint. Where are we going to go? When are we going to go? What time are we going to go? Is it just going to be me and you, or are we going to do some some other people coming? So, certain information that needs to be gathered potentially. So is that kind of the, the way that you think about it is to, is to gather the slots or, or do you not even think about that and you just design the conversation? I mean, the thing is, in conversation analysis, we talk about all kinds of slots, more than just the slots that are, are that, that um, dialogue designers talk about. Dialogue designers usually talk about, when they say slot, they are usually talking about the agent eliciting additional detail from the user. Right. In order to, you know, uh, book a, uh, a, a plane ticket, I need to know the agent will need to know where, where do you want to go? Where are you starting from? What are the two dates? Right. And we think of those the user doesn't give them. Then uh, we use slot filling to well, we use slot filling basically to get those four details. Conversation analysts think of 
they're, basically there are a lot of other kinds of slots. So for example, the user also in that same use case might, might um, uh, elicit additional information, right? They might not have questions about, you know, what do you mean by origin? You want to know my origin? What do you mean by origin, right? So there's user slots. And then you can think also of the of repair uh, as, as slots of providing a uh, paraphr paraphrases or repeats or examples. So there's kind of, so I think it's, it's, it's like that slot, slot concept, but sort of expanded to being different, uh, uh, lots of different kinds of slots that do different, that have different functions. And we talk about slots, right? There's a slot in the conversation where this action could be done, but whether this user or this person will do it, we have to wait and see, but we built it so that they can do it if, um, mm. if it's needed. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's kind of like that. So we've got another question from uh, Rebecca Evanhoe. Welcome, Rebecca. Shout out to Rebecca. Uh, question for the panel. A lot of what makes these conversations feel unnatural is that humans take turns very rapidly, but the tech usually requires the silence detection that slows down turn taking. You kind of touched on that before. But is there, so is there work being done to improve those limitations on the tech side? Are you aware? Yeah, I think, I believe, I read a blog post a little while back. Microsoft had something they call duplex, where they claim that it is analyzing while the uh, user is still speaking instead of waiting till the end. Uh, I haven't seen an update on that lately. Um, you know, of course, Google has something called duplex, uh, and I'm not sure if they're using it. Uh, it that seems to be a, a slightly different animal, but I'm not sure if it also has that. You know, the duplex capability in a telephone is that you can hear and talk at the same time, right? It's the, the channel, the open channel. So we... We need to see more of those solutions so that the the the, uh, the system can be analyzing the user's um, talk as it is uh, unfolding, and that's what I was saying before. Is that's why that's how we can get the tight coordination between turns. Is that you know I'm I'm ready to give my next turn before you've even finished your turn, and I can come in right at the end. We're pretty good at projecting uh, or, or anticipating where the other person is going to end. Now sometimes we're wrong because you'll add on another another clause or another detail and we're, we're wrong, but we're pretty good at it. But the point is we're analyzing it while it's unfolding. And that's really a, miss that's a big uh, technical missing piece right now. I hope we see, uh, you know, all the main platforms integrate that um, soon. But yeah, that's until then, uh, voice interaction with a conversational agent uh, that doesn't have that is kind of weird. It's very slow and you need to get used to that slow pace. Um, yeah, you need to adapt to that, unfortunately. Mm. We touched on this though, Dustin, didn't we? Not in terms of the analysis, but Facebook being able to produce uh, synthetic voices in, in like 500 milliseconds. Yeah, certainly. And Rebecca, I believe, also referenced uh, a pretty good book as well called How We Talk. And one of the takeaways that I had from that book was uh, if you ask someone a yes or no question and someone takes a while to respond, yeah. the, the question asker has this feeling that there's some, well, obviously uh, some hesitation, but it takes a message away from that. Uh, you're hesitating as perhaps even if you say yes, you don't want to. I, I wonder, and Bob, you might know more about this, is whether humans, when speaking with computers, they have those, those same inclinations, those same assumptions, or if it's completely divorced. If they go, okay, well, it's taking a long time, not because it doesn't want to, so to speak, yeah. but I understand it's, not a, it's a computer. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, conversation analysts call that preference structure. Um, basically, when 
four pair, paired actions uh, that have alternate have binary responses. So the invitation, right? A greeting, you know, greeting just the, the, the second part of the pair is just a greeting. But things like invitations, they have acceptance or rejection, right? They have these sort of binary options. And for those, um, we, we systematically do them, the, the, the two different options differently. Uh, we talk about sort of what we do, one is, as preferred and one is dispreferred. And it's pref it preferred or dispreferred in terms of what sort of what the, the in inviter or what the, 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 per the person who's starting the, the sequence, what, um, what they're aiming for. Right. If I if I get the impression that you're inviting me and you're trying to get me to go out and get the drink, right? Then the acceptance is is, is preferred and and a, uh, a rejection or a declination is dispreferred. And what that means is that we do them differently. And so the the preferred actions you get a sure right away, right? With 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 no uh, with no uh, usually with no gap uh, and with just a simple um, uh, accept a simple acceptance. Yes, sure, I'd love to. Um, the dispreferred actions we do entirely differently, and it's structurally differently. And, and as you as you pointed out, uh, usually we get a pause, right? There's a pause. So people from the pause alone can see, oh, this is a dis dispreferred uh, coming. This is a rejection coming. This is a dispreferred turn design. Um, also, things we we tend to get in that turn design. You may get well, you get a pause, and then well. Um, not always, but you, you well is another key uh, indicator. Uh, you usually get accounts. So instead of a no, uh, well, no, I can't. Uh, no, I can't. I usually get a, an account. Uh, well, I'm going. Uh, I'm, I'm recording this podcast tonight, uh, so I can't go. Now, often the actual "so I can't go" or "so no" it is usually left unstated. Usually, the account alone, you leave it to the other person to uh, to reason that oh, because they got a podcast, you can't. Right. So we, do, we you know we so we do it. So that's how you know we one we we try to avoid doing it. Right. We avoid saying no. I'm not going to go out. With you, right? We we do all the, all this other stuff, and we do it in a very predictable way. So yes, getting back to uh, the technology. So if you have uh, the technology that does silence is wrong, then it does interfere with that. And I think you know you may get until you get used to the fact that the silences are longer between a human and a conversational agent. Um, yeah, first you might you might miss you know you could potentially misrecognize that as as being part of preference structure when when really it's not. I mean, I, I still have this experience with you know when you have on the with news correspondence and they'll have they'll you know they'll be talking to somebody on the other side of the world and there is a, a delay and I still often hear that delay at the preferred turn structure and it's not right and as it goes through you you, you get used to oh yeah it's not it's not a, it's not they're not about to disagree. They're, um, they're just, it, it's, there's that pause with everything. So yeah, it's absolutely relevant. Um, this is one of the reasons that, you know, that getting that pause right, getting it shorter matters a lot and it won't feel natural until it's faster. Uh, and, you know, and until, until we can, um, you know, out, like I said, analyze what the user is saying while they're still saying it. Mm. Well, Bob, this has been absolutely fun Fantastic. I can't even explain how much uh, I've learned. I mean, I feel as though I've kind of just digested the book in like the last hour, um, but I'm still going to read the rest of it anyway. Um, and if other people want to read the rest of it as well uh, and get hold of it, how, where can they where can they go to, to get a copy? Um, you can find it on Amazon, right? That's usually the first place to go, Amazon. Um, Morgan and Claypool. Uh, they uh, published, or they they did they do the printing. It's actually it's published through the uh, ACM um, Association for Computing Machinery, and it's in their digital library. But you don't really want a digital copy. 
Uh, so Morgan and Claypool are the printer. Uh, you can go to Morgan and Claypool uh, website or, you know, I'd start, start first just at Amazon. Cool. And any other, uh, any other resources or links or anywhere else that you would point people for either finding out a little bit more about yourself and learn about more about yourself or, or any other resources on this stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, you can, well, you can look at our research blog. Um, if you just Google Bob Moore, IBM research or conversational IBM, conversational UX design, uh, it takes to, to some, our project blog. There's not, uh, yeah, that, that, that would be useful. And it has links to the, the book. There's another book as well that we edited, uh, last year. Um, and I wouldn't, I, I mean, like I said, I recommend starting if you're a designer or developer starting with, uh, with the book, with our book, uh, Raphael and I, um, and then hopefully you get interested in conversation analysis and then maybe branch out a bit into, uh, that literature. Uh, and I, I cite a lot of papers in, in the book and, yeah, but I wouldn't start, you know, I certainly wouldn't start with some of the more technical papers there. It's kind of dense and it's fascinating stuff, but it's, it's very, it's kind of academic. Well, it looks like I don't know what you're doing for for time, and I don't know what you're doing for time, Dustin. But you've you've got a bit of an encore. <laughs> People are asking whether uh, there's there's three questions. Uh, oh no, there's three three books left. But Mike is asking over already. Can't we continue? Uh, so if you have time for one more, maybe we can pick out one more question. Are we good sure. for one more? I'm good. Are you good, Dustin? Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Right. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what we'll do. If anyone has uh, another burning question, stick it in the comments quickly. Um, And in the meantime, we'll go for a quick one from Himadri, which is, uh, how do you decide the length of a conversation and what factors will it depend on? Length of a conversation. I usually don't decide the length of conversation. I I think that's kind of open-ended. It's more, what are the possible activities that will happen that that can happen and then um and and so then you know the length is sort of i think you'll get an average length depending on that but i don't really i guess i don't t- think it, it think of it in terms of, of length um yeah so you just do do whatever's required to satisfy the uh satisfy the use yeah. case essentially yeah, yeah. Well, think about what's the use case? You know, we're going to have you know, the agent needs to be able to recommend uh, destinations and attractions and book ticket, and that'll be like the core of the application. And then it'll, and then you know, an important thing is to um, be able to handle like reasonable um, requests uh, from the user for that use case that you don't support, right? So they might say, "Well, can you make a reservation for me at this attraction that you just recommended?" You need to be able to recognize that request, and then you have to say something like, "Unfortunately, I can't uh, make reservations at this time." You sort of build half build those out. You build out the intents for those things that are totally reasonable for the user to assume, and you know, and then you know, then you'll get a certain length. But I don't really think of it in terms of a. I, I, it's just yeah, I never, I never think it think of it in terms of length. Like I don't know how long my <laughs> conversations are. <laughs> do you, do you tend to have? Um a way of because one of the things that we often get asked is how do you how do you measure whether something is is working essentially so if you if you're creating a conversation you want you want everyone to go from from here to here what are some of the ways that you either try and learn whether the conversation is working or do you take that kind of stuff into account when you're designing do you kind of design it with the purpose of getting people through the steps or do you design it with the purpose of just making it seem and feel like a natural conversation Oh no! I definitely look at try and get them through the steps, right? I when 
whenever I analyze uh, user logs, you know, one of, well, the, the, the main question is, did they accomplish the thing that they're trying to accomplish? Did, you know, if, if it was to get a, um, uh, a destination recommendation or book a flight, did they do it? Did they successfully book the flight or did they successfully, you know, get, get whatever you know, the, the application is about? So that's, yeah, that's, that's like success in terms of the, the use case. Did they, could they achieve, you know, like, so we, we have one for um, recommending uh, movies. Did they get, you know, did they, did they find uh, in that one, did they get a list of, of movies that they then uh, uh, interacted with? Um, so that's definitely part of it. Then the, the other thing I look at is how much effort did it take them to get there? And so sort of my, my so the first one is sort of in terms of the, the business, like, you know, if you're a, a travel booking uh, company and you, you have this automated agent for booking things, in terms of that business, how successful was it? We, we see oh, 80% of people successfully book a flight, 20% or whatever. That's one kind of metric. The other kind of metric is how successful is the conversation as a conversation. And there I look at breakdowns and repairs and, you know, how often, basically, you know, for the people who, who didn't, who didn't achieve the goal of, you know, whatever it was, booking the flight, why not, right? Did they get stuck? And did they get stuck for sort of a policy reason? They're asking things that the company doesn't do or for understanding reasons that the agent couldn't understand what they were saying. And, and then, you know, of the people who did succeed, was it, you know, was it smoother? Did they have to do a lot of sort of repairs and, and restarts and multiple attempts? And that will give me an idea of how well is, are the, is the conversation uh, are the conversation mechanics working as the sort of generic conversation mechanics? How, you know, how, how well is that? And in fact, I've got some metrics, some experimental metrics that, that measure that They measure, measure of, of the, uh, sequences that were initiated. So things like requests for whatever, uh, how many were, you know, what percentage were completed and then a measure of interactional efficiency of the ones that were completed, how efficient were they? Right. So, and this gets back to the expansion concept. If you have the notion of expansion, then the you have a hypothetical shortest path, and that is just the two parts of the pair: the uh, the request and then the granting of the request. Right? That's a that's a theoretical shortest pair, uh, path, and then you can look at the actual path, and you see all oh, well, they you know they ask uh, they ask for uh, clarification, repeats, different uh, additional information. They did a bunch of expansions. Then you come up can come up with kind of an efficiency ratio, and so that you know that's I don't I don't know that. I wouldn't say that the most efficient is always the best. I mean, I think, I think if you take, you have a complex area and you successfully, you know, the agent successfully explains to the user what different things mean and they accomplish the goal. That's, that's good. Um, it doesn't, I don't think, um, you know, uh, uh, the most efficient is always the best thing, but it's a measure that gives you an idea of how much extra work are they doing to get to that, that um, to, to get to that goal and having to, to uh, do a lot of expansions or you're just getting this sort of short two, two turn sequences. Cool. Um, we do, if, if we can do one final one, I feel a little bit bad because Richard uh, has asked this question twice. I think we might have overlooked it. Um, really, really quickly, if we can do, if we can do a 30 second uh, answer um, right. and then, and then we'll turn it over and then we'll turn it over to Dustin for his final thoughts. Um, what innovative user research methods do you recommend? Uh, our team has had success with Wizard of Oz testing. It's especially effective early on in the design process. What's worst? What's worked best for you in terms of your research and testing of these conversations? Uh, you know, I don't have a good answer to that. I don't. I'm not a big user researcher. What, what I do, I guess, what I recommend is I, a an alternative or a complementary piece, right? So. Um, 
complementary to whatever user research you're going to do, take advantage of conversation analysis literature or uh, analysis in the book, um, because that's that's user research that somebody else has already done, right? It's it's a different kind of complementary user research. I don't think it's it's you know, not necessarily enough for your use case, but I think you know that can nicely complement because you know you, you you may you may sort of narrowly. Uh, uh, do some research on this use case on this product, um, but you know if you look at some of the literature on conversation more generally, it give you a, you know give you a a, a uh, broader vision of how conversation works. And I think bringing those two together would be powerful. But yeah, I, I don't have a lot of uh, um, uh, advice for sort of uh, more um, uh, uh, standard uh, user research. But try and try and yeah try and complement it with uh, both. Um, knowledge from uh, conversation science, and also you know do some uh, like the exercise I suggested of, of of capturing and analyzing a recording of uh, a naturally occurring talk in that in that use case in that scenario. Uh, do some of that and get get this feel for what is the flow, what is the pace, what is the sort of length of utterances um, that are are normal for that uh, for that use case. Great. Well, Bob, thanks so much for appearing and, and doing this encore as well. Uh, just one more time, just one more time. If people want to find you online, where should they look? Uh, Bob Moore, IBM Research. Perfect. You just Google cool. that. You should be able to get everything you need from there. And, you know, conversational UX design is, is the phrase that I use. I know there's a lot of different ways. There it is. Yeah, it's also in the, in the title about conversational mm -hmm. UX design. Uh, it's kind of the, the the phrase I use for this for, for design. So if you Google that, you tend to end up at um, at uh, my page too. Cool. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This has been wicked. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, and thank you for Micah for. Uh, Introducing us, yeah, and and for Micah for for instigating the encore. We've never had an encore before. Uh, you're the first, and and uh, the barometer of a good conversation is how many people stick around, and and every, yeah. more or less everyone. We haven't really lost that many people throughout the whole of the broadcast, and we've been going for nearly an hour and a quarter. So it's yeah, testament it's to to how stimulating it was. So thank you so yeah. much. Come back anytime. Indeed, indeed, we will definitely definitely take you up on that offer. I think, uh, Dustin, any final thoughts? No, I think this has been great. Thanks so much, Bob. Cool. And and one final thought from me. Uh, next Friday, we're going to be speaking to Hilary and Matthew Black uh, of Ask Mav, which is an SMS platform for creating automated SMS messaging, which is hopefully what we can do now is we can take some of these concepts and some of these principles that Bob shared with us and we can take it into that conversation to learn how to create automated SMS interactions. So hopefully we'll see you same time next week. Until next time, see you later. <laughs>